Hello everyone. This po- podcast is brought to you by Techniche 2021, which is the annual techno management festival of IIT Guwahati. Welcome to our podcast series, The Tech Check, which is presented by Lecture Series, the most elegant module of Techniche. Today we have with us a very special guest, Dr. Stephen Ferber, who is a highly accomplished computer scientist, mathematician and hardware engineer. He is also the principal designer of the BBC Micro and the ARM 32-bit microprocessor. He has been honored with numerous awards, including the Royal Society Wilson Research Merit Award, and was made a distinguished fellow at the British Computer Society. Welcome, sir. It is a great privilege to have you here. Hello. Um. So currently, sir. you're leading research into neural engineering and neuromorphic neuromorphic computing that's right, right yes so uh, could you explain for us in simple terms what neuromorphic computing actually means neuromorphic computing is a term that that first emerged in the 1980s um when Carvamir at, at Caltech uh, pr- observed that there was a, a strong similarity between the equations that govern uh, the movement of electrons in transistors in a particular mode and the equations that govern the movement of ions through ion channels in neurons in brains um and and a neuromorphic basically means brain shaped and and it's used today more broadly than the uh, the carver mead use um to apply to a range of computing systems that to, to a greater or lesser degree can Uh, be said to be brain inspired in other words they are computing systems that work somewhat differently from conventional computers and work in some way um more like the brain oh that was quite enlightening so uh, what do you think up till now are the key challenges that have been faced during your research well the challenges facing neuromorphic computing research are um that although we're trying to base our computing systems on principles that we see in the brain we still lack our lack anything approaching a complete understanding of how the brain works so we know a great deal about the lower level details of neurons and ion channels and we know quite a lot about synapses but even there our knowledge is incomplete so the systems we're trying to build which are based on the brain are based on a system of which we have incomplete knowledge and and therefore um we spend a lot of time uh, trying to fill in the gaps in that knowledge and and those gaps include things such as how does the brain learn new information so when you learn to recognize a new face what is it in your brain that stores the information about that new face and you know we're pretty sure it's stored in in the synapses in some way in the way those connections form and adjust over time uh, but we don't know exactly what those mechanisms are so we're we're constantly um trying to make informed guesses and see if those uh, guesses when they're turned into models deliver the kind of functionality we're looking for so um this connection of neuromorphic computing to the brain this is i think i think this contributes to the this the thing called the human brain project right isn't this what they're trying to do the well the human brain project does include neuromorphic computing and and, and that's where uh, our current support comes from but 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 the human brain project is much broader um, than just neuromorphic computing it's 
it's really um, it spreads from from neuroscience through through uh, medical investigations into diseases of the brain um, through to high performance computing systems that are used to support brain research and and around to neuromorphic computing which is trying to develop brain inspired computer systems so so it's much broader but neuromorphic computing is is one component of it all right um so the hardware today i think it's based on one human architecture right so what are the shortcomings of that and why do you think the development of this neuromorphic computing is necessary for uh, humans the conventional computer is as you say based on the von neumann architecture which which separates memory and processing and uh, creates what's called the von neumann bottleneck which is that you need a very high bandwidth connection between the processor and the memory and the processor is constantly fetching instructions and data across this bottleneck um in the brain we find memory and computation are much more uniformly distributed and and memory is stored close to where it's required for computation um so an undesirable consequence of the von neumann architecture is that this bottleneck um generates a lot of heat so in order to move data back and forth through this channel between the processor and memory uh, consumes a great deal of, a great deal of power in today's computing systems and and the hope is that by distributing the memory and the computation uh, to be much closer to each other um, that we can significantly reduce the power consumed by computers at least for some classes of application all right that's that's quite interesting so uh, elon musk has been working on neuralink is that uh, like an example of neuromorphic computing or is that something related to what you are researching towards i don't actually know a great deal about uh, musk's neuralink um, i've i've heard about it but i think it's it's more in the domain of brain computer interfaces so i think it's a mechanism of of coupling um neural circuits into biological brains which which isn't an area we work in at all so um i'm afraid i'm not very well placed to to comment on where i think neuralink might go and uh, have you heard of the true north chip that's been developed by ibm yes uh, yes i'm quite familiar with the ibm true north chip uh, that's an example of a neuromorphic system it was developed over very similar time scales to to our spinnaker system um it differs from it in that in spinnaker we model neurons and synapses in software so we have a very flexible system in true north they're modeled in hardware so they have a less flexible but denser and more efficient system and and they can build larger scale networks with fewer chips than we require with spinnaker okay uh so now like neuromorphic computing it's like artificial intelligence in a way right so do you think it's going to be any it's going to cause some threat to humans like what are its implications for humanity i'm i'm not sure that there there are any implications of neuromorphic computation beyond those which are already of concern for for mainstream artificial intelligence neuromorphic computing offers the prospect of being able to run um ai systems on much lower 
power supplies so they can uh, there can be more of them they can be distributed closer to sensors at the edge um, but I'm not convinced that they create any new classes of, of ethical issue um, the major ethical issues around AI um, that I think are, are, are genuine at the moment are its application in, in, in military uh, systems. So its use in, in, in weapons, um, where, where I think um, today's AI is, is actually nothing like good enough to start replacing humans um, in, in, in those systems and, and therefore it's likely to make more mistakes than humans do with uh, possibly very negative consequences. But I don't think neuromorphics really changes that balance much and that's already been looked at quite carefully by, by the AI ethics community. Uh, neuromorphic computing seems like a quite uh, interesting thing. So uh, you have been you've worked on the Spinnaker project, right? So could you like tell us what it was and how was your experience working in it and everything that it entailed? Yes, uh, Spinnaker is a project that I've led at the University of Manchester for the last twenty years, um, and we set out. Um, asking ourselves if we could build a million mobile phone processors into a big computer and sustain biological real-time across that million core system, um, what kind of contribution could we make to brain science and, and other neuromorphic developments? Um, the, the machine started with the design of the chip, so we've designed the Spinnaker chip from the silicon upwards, um, and, and we've had those chips now for 10 years. And, and we've been increasing the scale of the systems that we use and we've been offering a, an open and freely accessible service under the auspices of the Human Brain Project um, for five years now um, and we achieved our initial goal of a million cores in one machine uh, in 2018 so um, it's taken a long time to put this system together um, but we now have a machine in Manchester with a million processors and and several hundred users around the world who are submitting jobs. Uh, we can run multiple jobs simultaneously. Um, very few of the jobs that are submitted use a large proportion of the machine. And, and so we physically allocate a subset of the machine to each job that's submitted. Um, and, and we have the support software to enable that to work. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Spinnaker is a many core machine. In many ways, it looks like a high performance computer with a number of differences. One difference is that we use small energy efficient processors. Um, so these are small ARM processors um, of the sort that you find in not even as powerful as application processors in mobile phones, but more like the things you find in the, in the battery controllers in the phone. Um, and we have a million of those. Um, whereas a high performance computer tends to use a very high end processor. But the major difference is the way we connect the processors together. The brain is massively connected. So the neurons in the cortex, for example, tend to connect to many thousands of other neurons. So when we model a neuron in Spinnaker and that neuron generates a spike, we have to send that spike to thousands of destinations across the machine. And to maintain biological real time, we have to deliver that spike everywhere it needs to go 
in a small fraction of a millisecond. And that's required us to develop an innovative communications infrastructure so that when the neuron spikes, that spike becomes a packet and that packet is communicated through a packet switch network, which is intrinsically multicast. So effectively that packet is, is replicated and, and fans out across a tree across the machine um, to reach all its destinations very quickly. So, so the main differences between Spinnaker and a conventional massively parallel high performance computer are we use small processors and we have a different communications infrastructure that's particularly tuned to the problem of brain modeling. Right, that's quite um, interesting. So um, I've read that there's the, the construction of a second generation machine is now underway. It's called Spin Cloud. How is that different from Spinnaker? And why do you think it was necessary to make it as well? The, the second generation um, Spinnaker machine uh, starts with a new chip, which is imaginatively called Spinnaker 2. Um, and that's been co-developed by my group at Manchester and uh, a very good chip design team at the Technical University of Dresden in Germany. And, and uh, the main reason for building a second generation chip is that Spinnaker 1 the original Spinnaker machine uses quite old chip technology. It's 130 nanometer CMOS, and it wasn't particularly new technology when we chose it in 2005. Um, so we, effectively it's a 20 year old technology. And by moving to a more up-to-date technology, which for Spinnaker 2 will be a 22 nanometer fully depleted silicon insulator technology from Global Foundries, uh, we can roughly increase the performance of the chip by a factor 10 and improve its efficiency by a factor 10. So effectively we can achieve 10x improvement in, in those two parameters. And because we've learned quite a lot um, over the last 10 years using the Spinnaker 1 chip, um, we've also included accelerators on Spinnaker 2, which means that for some applications we'll get a lot more than 10x performance improvement. So, um, so really we built Spinnaker 2 for that performance improvement and the first large scale application of Spinnaker 2 will be in this system called SpinCloud. In, in fact, Dresden has set up a company called SpinCloud Systems GmbH to commercialize Spinnaker 2. Again, because Spinnaker 1 was based on old technology, it's, it's not really commercially viable. Spinnaker 2 is, is far more up to date and, uh, and will be exploited commercially as well as in the research domain. Uh, so like obviously considering how huge this project is and do you, a lot of uh, the project was given a lot of budget. So do you think like uh, it was worth the amount of dollars that were spent on it? Well, we didn't spend any dollars, we spent pounds. <laughs> That's just a, a, a currency issue. Yes, um, it, it's, it, it's been a 20 year project. So, um, uh, so yes, over those 20 years, we have um, got through quite a lot of budget. The, the design and construction of the original Spinnaker machine was supported by the UK Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council. So most of our original funding came from them. Uh, then since 2013, we've been supported by the EU um, Human Brain Project. Um, that support has mainly been 
um, focused on, on developing the service, so supporting a wide number of external users. Um, so it, it, it's a lot of money. Um, do, do the research results justify that? Well, we like to think so. Um, there have been about, I think there must be now approaching 100 research papers that have come out of that funding, um, some of which have, have, have indicated quite significant milestones in neuromorphic brain modeling. Um, so I think compared with other ways of, of spending research money, uh, the project has performed quite well. And of course, we're now moving um, into this commercial phase with Dresden. And obviously, if, if that investment results in a, a significant commercial enterprise uh, taking off successfully, then I think it'll be viewed as a very good investment. That's quite fascinating. So um, coming back to the human brain project, uh, I've read that this Pinnacle project has aided hugely in its development. So how do you like, could you explain how that was? Well, uh, Spinnaker is one of two neuromorphic computing platforms that is offered um, by the Human Brain Project. The other one is the BrainScales um, neuromorphic system developed at the University of Heidelberg in Germany. And Spinnaker and BrainScales um, pretty much represent the opposite ends of the neuromorphic spectrum. So BrainScales is a wafer scale analog VLSI system. Um, Spinnaker is, as I've described, a many-core digital system um, and, and they have quite different characteristics and, and quite complementary contributions to the Human Brain Project. Um, how, how are these systems helping the Human Brain Project? Well, we're offering this open platform um, that uh, users can, uh, can come and submit jobs to. They can develop models of brain subsystems um, run them in real time on Spinnaker, which can be very difficult on any other computer, uh, particularly as those systems get large. Um, Spinnaker has scalable performance. So as you increase the size of the model, we allocate more of the machine to it. So you get more resource in proportion to the size of the model. And that's how we can maintain real time performance. Um, we, we've developed models um, with, with HPP collaborators of, of the cortical microcircuit. So we've shown that we can run cortical models with, with biologically accurate numbers of connections in real time. And we're now working on a multi-area version of that model. And this will be a very ambitious um, computing challenge, uh, but we're pretty sure that Spinnaker will maintain real time. Um, and I don't think any other computer will do that. Okay, so 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 the scalability of, of the architecture um, allows us to deliver biological models that, that can't run at the same speed any other way. The Spinnaker project and neuromorphic computation as a whole seems fascinating. And the fact that this could be possible, it's just completely awe-inspiring. A lot of people, like especially in IIT, are extremely interested in artificial intelligence and and want to pursue this field and do what you are doing as of now. So do you have any suggestions or any words for those people, what they should do? Well, in parallel, you know, over the same period of time that we've been developing Spinnaker, mainly to contribute to brain science, 
and artificial intelligence has made huge advances, um, starting from small seeds in about 2004-05, when Jeff Hinton uh, returned to his work from the 1980s on artificial neural networks and found that with a few new ideas and improvements in computer technology, what was not feasible in the 1980s suddenly was feasible. That's sort of led to a, an explosion of artificial neural networks that are now everywhere doing things such as speech recognition in our homes and on our phones and so on. Um, but that artificial intelligence uh, development is, is kind of running into problems, okay? Um, one of the problems is if you look at um, the most advanced networks, the sort of GPT-3 network, that now takes, um, you know, teraflop weeks of, of training, which is a lot of money and a lot of computing resource. Um, and that's a characteristic of many other artificial neural network AI systems. And, and really what they're running up against is the fact that, that training those systems is very expensive. Whereas we know that brains train much more cheaply, but we don't know how brains work. Okay. So, so, um, but I, I think that for AI to continue the, the advances that we've seen over the last decade, we're going to have to understand more about how the brain solves some of these important problems of training effectively, training continuously, training online and at very low power. And, and, and neuromorphic technology may well contribute to some of those advances. Uh, for instance, in the low power, we already have some idea how to build continuous online learning systems with neuromorphic technology and so on. So I think mainstream AI and neuromorphics will converge. Uh, they can learn a lot from each other and from brain science. And that combination um, will make for a very exciting future. That's quite inspiring. And I'm sure everyone who will be listening to this will want to go further into this and, uh, and make projects such as you have right now. Um, thank you so much, sir, for giving us your time and telling us all these amazing and interesting facts and your experience in all of this neuromorphic computing and the Spinnaker project, which is fascinating and amazing. Mm -hmm.